0: Hey, good morning. Today's daf is daf nun. Today's shir is uh, le ilu, ilu nishma shifra shulamis vacher shaleba koin and yeshua yitzhak nishol ruvein ha lady. May the neshomus have an aliyah and may the memory be a blessing. Okay, just to uh, introduce today's shir, just mention a point regarding learning. The nefesh hachaim says that what does it mean learning Torah lishwa? So some people have the con- conception, he thinks it's a misconception, that you learn Torah to feel the connection to Hashem, to inspire you to Hashem. And I think it might be a veiled, veiled criticism of, again, I don't know whether it's true or not, because I don't know enough but against the Hasidic idea that when you're learning these, let's call them uh, in apostrophes, mundane Sylvias, you've got to look for the inner depth, the inner beauty. What's the inner symbolism? What's the mystical message? And that's why they'll offer, and uh, to the degree that a certain Rebbe apparently once said, you know, you're learning the Babakamah, Shoshana Chesapora, ox goring a cow. It's like, that's not kadosh, That's not holy. It's the underlying messages, the deeper spiritual message that it's telling you that is holy. But the Nam was vehemently against that. He said, no, the Torah Lishwa is learning to understand. Take the Sugya and you try to understand it as best as you can. And hopefully you'll be inspired out there, but that's not the goal. The goal is to understand it. That's what learning English more is So any sugi-a, uh is important Again, until you know every sugiya, you can put more energy into the sugiyas, you know, that are more relevant, more interesting, that you can understand better, but that is the general uh, approach of uh, of uh, our heritage that uh, that we put in the effort to uh, to understand, regardless. But yeah, I agree with you. I didn't uh, get. Just interesting on the story that we did yesterday, right at the end of yesterday's The Story was Rabbi Yehuda and his wife was so poor that he had to share a jacket. So one question on that is, isn't a isha? Yeah, that's it's going Okay. Reason. So that's the question. that there's some poskim who seem to say any basically unisex clothing is a problem. A man's wearing woman clothes and a woman's wearing man clothes. Some take it more to uh, explain the issue of uh, wearing clothes of the opposite sex in a, more, uh, in a way that comes out more linear, that basically, specifically when you're trying to wear women's woman's clothes or you want to look like a woman, that would be a problem. So then unisex clothes, most likely, most scenarios, would be okay. Um, it's a big discussion in the game what happens if you're walking home from children's Friday night and, and from supper Friday night and, and your wife's cold, can you give her your jacket? So they'd say, if she's just putting it on because it's cold, it would be allowed. And the other way around, it would also be allowed. So, uh, interesting when Here, he it he seems uh, must have been a unisex jacket. And you're um, right there, old who would seem to say that's a problem. Pardon? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Pardon? should Yeah, so that's the problem. Um, so that would be... I um, so. <coughs> So that, um, then once we mentioned his coat, we mentioned that once he couldn't go to the to to shul because I guess his wife had gone out shopping in the coat and he needed it to get to shul, so he didn't go to shul. So Rabbi he was Rabbi, Gamliel? Rabbi Shulman Gamliel sent him a jacket, sent him a coat. So he says, No, nah, I don't need it. And he lifted up the blanket and lo and behold there was a miracle he calls He says, Look, I don't need it. What is he saying? He was just trying to brush off receiving any benefit from another person without... Uh, um, without embarrassing Rabbi Shimon Kambil. If, uh, if uh, Rabbi Shimon Kanda sends you a gift to turn it away, is uh, disparaging to Rabbi Shimon But It's like, look, I've got plenty. The reason is I don't want to get uh, benefit from have this have world God, unnecessarily. He's, done. Done. he's stopping Rabbi Shimon from giving yeah. gifts. No, for Rabbi Hood, I think it's fine. It was because he needed a coat, so he's like, look, I don't need a coat, I've got a whole stack of money hidden under my mattress. Um, okay, how did he know that he would find the money there when he picked up the the blanket? It's all part, it's a miracle, so uh, there's not so that he, many rules. So there's a remote <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just just happened to be there. Um... Okay, so let's go on to the new piece of Rabbi Akiva. So as I mentioned, it seems one of the reasons this is bought here is because we mentioned Rabbi Yehuda and his wife and their financial struggles. and a similar story with Rabbi Akiva, who also had financial struggles. Remember, we had the story of Rabbi Akiva in uh, Subas. So they complement each other, each one having a few more details than the other, and bringing out slightly different points. It's also brought out in other Midrashim. Which interestingly enough, they, they like, complement each other in filling out more of the details. It says Rabbi Akiva is Kade Shlei Bartei the Kavasavua. Rabbi Akiva married the daughter of, or did Kiddushin, was it? Did Kiddushin to the daughter of Kavasavua. Now we know Shoma Kavasavua, Adrahonomikol Nirsei. Rabbi to when he heard, he took a neder that his daughter can't get any benefit from all his assets. Nevertheless, she still went through with the marriage and married Rabbi Akiva. Now we know from S'ubas uh, remember, um, Rabbi Akiva was the shepherd, he uh, was totally ignorant, and Kalbasabua was one of the wealthiest men in the, gener- in the generation in Gittin and said that there were three people who were able to support. Uh, the whole of Yerushalayim, when it was under siege for 20 I think it was for 24 years or something like that, of was one of those wealthy people. Um, where does he get his name? Satisfied Dog? He says, no, because when people would go, when hungry people would go into his home, they would leave feeling as full as a dog. So Khabar-Savu, that's where he got his nickname, Khabar So he's impressively wealthy. His daughter went and <laughs> married a shepherd. Can you imagine? Never mind a shepherd. Uh, a, uh, an uneducated yeah. an, uneduc- an ignoramus uh, and a convert he was uh, on the lowest rungs of society in uh, every possible way and she went and she married him the Gomorrah there again says what did she see in him that he was sinua umali literally modest modest and humble and umali of, sounds like of good character so uh or, or see how some explained, Mali means and people liked him. So she saw he had a very refined, he was a very refined person, so she realized she had he had potential, so she said to him, if you uh, go learn, I'll marry you. She saw that potential in him, and he accepted the challenge, and that's how they ended up getting married. just interesting that Tossos, uh, I don't know if we discussed this when we did, I think it was Tossos in Super if we discussed it that. But wait, there's another good in Sochem and it's discussing how bad Amaratsim are. It so says, Rabbi Akiva says, you know, ah, when I was at Amaret, ah, my, one of my greatest desires was to bat, bat off the head of the sages like a donkey. So what do you mean? So now we're saying like, he was he was uh, modest, humble, and, you know, refined. We see, he was incredibly uh, vicious. And he wanted to bat off the head of a, the khaza, of the sages like a donkey. But there are different explanations, I think. The one which almost is is, is, yeah, he did start off with quite a coarse rough personality, but he slowly worked on himself and he refined it. Then Kalba Zavua's daughter came along and saw this potential in him. And, I mean, that would add to the potential. I guess you see someone able to refine their midos to such a degree from having that vicious, aggressive hatred in them to becoming Tsenu Umali, She saw a lot of potential in him. And she said, okay, if you go learn Torah, I'll marry you. That's one explanation. Um, Tosphus and Rabbanu Tam give a similar answer, but basically, he felt hatred from the Chachamim. Again, justified or not, we know Ha-Tamaret who were treated uh, as second class citizens in some ways. I remember an Amar, a, a Tamil Chacham would never touch the clothes of a, uh, or let the Ama'aret touch their clothes because of Midrash. You view every Ama'aret as if they're a midrash. So he felt. Seems felt shamed. He felt lowly by them, so that that not so it wasn't that he hated them and wanted to bite them. He, held to, he felt hated and gets rejected and condescended by Chazal, but by the sages of that time, and therefore his his it like created in him feelings of wanting to just that that I guess that shame made him want to bite their heads off, but not because he was a bad person. Um, okay, so let's... Uh, then I just had to fill in a few lines. Um okay, he's on... The Sabbath in winter, they were so poor that they were sleeping on straw. And he was pulling straw out of her hair. And You know, If only I could, I would buy you a, a, a golden Jerusalem, which is a fancy tiara sort of... Piece of jewelry. So it says, instead of picking out the straw from your beautiful hair, I wish I could uh, adorn it with this very expensive, very fancy tiara. Um, you know, it's an interesting question. Some of the con- commentaries ask: "Is exera?" The end of it says, "Is exera against uh, pride?" And since the destruction of the temple, against wearing it, you shall so they point out a, a very simple answer. Is, no, that Kazair is on a bride and groom. We're discussing a while into their marriage, and i considered a bride or groom anymore, then it would be fine. And others say that no, Rabbi Akiva lived both before and after. We know Rabbi Akiva lived after the Shurba. But he says he also lived a bit before the what He was at the time when the Basel I Midas mean, was still built. And that's when he got married, and that's when he offered it. Um, okay, Asa Eliyahu, so... Asa came, appeared as a person to them, begging. She says, the lehu haveli putu du tibna diolere isasi? The lay sleep maidam lagune. Can I have some straw, please? I don't even have straw in my wife's giving birth and I need something for her to lie on. So, O'ma lehu haveli kibna lehintasi? Khazi gabra da'afri du lo islay. Look how um, he says, look, there are people who are so less fortunate than us. It seems, again, many people find, um, I don't think, they, f- they don't find it consoling in, uh, that other people are suffering, but just knowing that it could be worse, many people find uh, consoling, and that's what he was telling his wife. Him, that they how could I know Coming and saying, my wife's giving birth, I need some straw. He says, no, for Shalom Ba, it's no are you lie. Because again, here the financial difficulty that she's going under and the keep is struggling and they're suffering, they're sleeping on, sleeping on uh, in a haystack. Then uh, that... Elial uh, knew um, to show them the lesson that... Uh, that uh, to appreciate what they have and help the marriage would be... would you allow her life for that? Omra um, laid, so she said to him, Zil Hamu rav." Time to go to Yeshiva. We've had our uh, year of celebration since we got married or however long and what. Time to go to Yeshiva. So Azal Tati a Yeshiv. the Rebbe Lezer Rebbe Yeshua. He went and he learned for 12 years before Rebbe Lezer and Rebbe Yeshua. Um, see, it's brought in uh, Yerushalmi that they made money by him collecting and selling wood and she would sell her hair for wigs. Um, but uh, they eked out a living while he was in Yeshiva. The Sorry After twelve years he was returning home and, and he and heard from about when he's like coming around the corner, He heard from the back of the house and an evil person was saying to his wife, your father put you banned you from his property, it was worthwhile. Firstly he's not worthy of you. Again, he's poor. he's Abu Ares, he's a convert. You come from the nobility of the Jewish nation, totally inappropriate that you should marry him first for he 's left you as a living widow all these years you 've been stuck at home he 's been in yeshiva you 're a poor widow, so for those two reasons you, you know you deserve what your father gave you. It was a good thing that your father divorced you um, a, Disinherited. Disinherited you," he He said, "If he would listen to me, I would send him for another twelve years." Omar. Rabbi said to himself. Says Ah, he's given permission. He turned around, went straight back to the base of Midrash for another twelve years. Now, the the famous um, Musar idea that they bring from here, I think uh, Recham Shmulevet says it the clearest, but I think a few say, wait, he was just outside his house, he hadn't seen his wife for 12 years, just stop in, say hi, have a cup of coffee, and then go back to the base medrash. Why did he say, ah, I've got permission, he spins around and runs off. Um... So Rabsham it says you can't compare sitting down and learning for 24 years to sitting down and learning for 12 years, having a break, and then another 12 years. Obviously in our lives we wouldn't look at it as that extreme, but if you have the opportunity to sit down and learn for half an hour straight, Much rather do that than 15 minutes now and 15 minutes later. And it would be the same thing in your shiva, so you have the whole of morning Seder. Try not to interrupt it, rather get a long stretch in or get a few straight in your shiva before you have to go do something, get involved in business, etc. So that would be uh, one of the, uh, the message from this. You can't compare the quality of learning when it's done over one long interrupted stretch as opposed to um, two shorter, two stretches. So they say 12, 12 plus 12 does not equal 24. Um, 24 is much, much grander. Um, on his return, when he was returning, he was returning with 24,000 pairs of talmidim. And everyone was going to greet him. You know, the, the god of that door is walking uh, through your town, you go and you meet him. It says, he came to the She knew. I mean, she knew it was her husband, and she went to meet him. So amelu ahuri the neighbor said, that evil neighbor of hers, said to her, it seems maybe he, he had done sure. but he says, where are you going? Elsa says, I want to get you some, uh, let me, let's get you some clothes. Look what you're wearing. You can't go and your husband like this after 20, uh, 24 years. You've got to uh, dress up smart. So Omri your dad, Sadiq Nebesh, Mehemto, says, no, Sadiq knows the soul of his animal. I says, he knows, Rabbi Akiva knows where I am. He's not going to look at my external beauty. He's going to look at the, my midos, my sacrifice. Etc. Um, I mean, and if you think about this, what Rabbi Akiva's wife has done is a phenomenal level of sacrifice for Talmud Torah. Um, uh, our whole, well, let's, let's read a bit further. He says, um, She was trying to get close to him, and the students were pushing her away. You Who's know, this beggar, this uh, badly dressed woman coming to harass Rabbi Akiva? And they're trying to push her away. So, Omerohoim, Chonicholo. Rabbi Akiva said, leave her, she leave her shalcha, the shalohi, um, what is mine and what is yours all belong to her. And I think that's a very powerful message, but her self-sacrifice is what enabled us. And to a degree, Rabbi Akiva is the father of the Torah there in some aspect. So uh, so all that we have, the whole town, Tal- the Mishnah, the Talmud, etc., all to a degree stems from Rabbi Akiva. I bring that because there's the famous Midrash, uh, the Gemara, which brings when Moshe Rabbein went up to Harsinai and he was asking why wow, there were all these comments on the letters. And Hashem said, you know, in the future there's going to be a sage. He's going to learn out uh, bundles and bundles of halachas from them. And what did Rabbi so Moshe said, oh, let me see him. And he went to Rabbi Akib. Hashem uh, transported him into uh, Rabbi Akib's uh, shir. Um, and the story goes there. But basically, Rebbe Akib, it seems to a degree, Moshe was the father of... And Rabbi Akiva was the father of the Torah of Again, it's not a direct thing because we get the Torah of at least from Moshe, but who really brought it to life was uh, Rabbi or one of the sages was Rabbi Akiva. So, all of ours is hers. Um, there was a point I wanted to raise, um, okay, let's go on. Shodra um, Kabavour heard about the Corador coming to town. He went to meet him, again, not knowing that it was his son-in-law, and he went into an alineder. And he allowed it, and then Rabbi Akiva and his wife were able to get benefit from Calbus of Words asset. Just wanted to first uh, some point out that Rabbi Akiva himself couldn't have allowed the because he's not gave a He has a vested interest in what he can finally have at his father in pay. His wife can finally have suffered at her parents' house after 24 years. Um, so that's something to think about. And then another question they, um, they discuss here is, again, and this is very relevant to the Nadorim, we haven't done the with yet, but we have discussed the Petach, and we have to find an opening in the letter. Had you known X, would you have taken the letter? And that's what the Gomorrah elsewhere brings that. He said to him, had you known that you would become the God of Adora, a, time, a great time of Hophim, would you have taken the letter?" And what did time of the even if you hadn't learned one or one Aloha, I wouldn't have taken the letter." I mean, we see how low, how ignorant Revi Akiva was. But had he only known one, uh, one halacha, he would have... I uh, would not have taken the netter. But that's noilat. You're not... A, the old, a Pesach, when you're finding an opening, you have to f- take it with something that at the time he took the netter would be a reason that he wouldn't have taken the netter. But here he's saying, at the time you are taking your netter, would you know that I would become a Talmud Gacham? So that's Nola. Like, that's a new thing that's in the world that you want to use to invalidate an old nether, you can't. So the one, uh, the one explanation, in a way this is almost the easiest, I'm trying to remember that maybe it's difficult because of the language, but um, the Keseb Mishnah explains it wasn't through a Pesach, it was through Harata. Remember we learned that if you regret a neder, it's like, oh, I don't know, I would never, I, I regret taking such a neder then the nere can fall away. I guess that falls into the difficulties of when you can do sarata. But others say, no, it was a Pesach. And they give two reasons. The run, the run here. But I think Toss would say, very similar to the run, but just more extreme. So I mentioned Toss, I just remember it from silver such an amazing idea. So I say, when someone commits to go and dedicate themselves, to go sit in the base medrash and dedicate themselves to learning, that's not an land, it's basically a given. They'll become a Talmud The run says, you know, someone who commits to learning will definitely learn one halacha, definitely learn uh, one Mishnah. So it's guaranteed that, again, when he married her, when they did, he had agreed to go learn. So it was as if he already knew one halacha or Mishnah. You could even say that he had by that time, by the time, of Seboi heard about it and made his letter. He had already started to learn and he learned one Mishnah. But again, Tosla's songs I just find so beautiful and powerful that if your mind commits and dedicates itself, to focus on learning, and you, do, you know, to go to the base bedrash and learn, you'll have success. And therefore, it's not noilad; it's a given because he had committed to learning before they started, before they got married. Remember that was the condition that they got married under. So uh, he had already. Um, so, so therefore, it's not noilad; it's not a new thing in the world. It was already in place already. And then again in the morning, it was continues that he fell on his feet. Rabbi Akiva said, you know, I'm your son-in-law. And he fell on his feet and he kissed him. Um, then it says, mili Rabbi, Akiva. Rabbi Akiva became wealthy from the following six things. And shop opens up, why do we need to know how Rabbi Akiva became wealthy? No, it wants to highlight that he didn't become wealthy by yeshiva by fees. It wasn't the expense of tuition fees that he charged his students that he became wealthy. He became wealthy from other things discuss it at the end of the six things but try to think why to mention six things he became wealthy from ok but let's go. so what did he become wealthy from the first one was min what? from his father-in-law secondly that's the best min min alia from the ram of a ship it seems that they used to build, uh, as part of the decoration of a ship, the special ram, almost as like a symbol for brocha, and they would fill it with uh, treasures. The Kulzvinter, Ardilei Chadmin Ina, all ships would make this. And Inchi Al Kafyama, once they were busy, they forgot it on the seashore. I saw who, came along and he found it. And again, as we pointed out, they were always filled with gold and jewels, so he became very wealthy. The Shutamu gives a nice uh, uh, piece of information that's missing, because obvious question is, shouldn't remember Kiba has returned it? Granted, you might not, firstly, we can assume, I don't know if they were Jewish or non-Jewish, but let's assume they were Jewish, and even if they had Yehosh, you might, you're not obligated to return it, but if you know someone who's lost something, and you can return it, it's a good Chesed. It's a great kindness to go return it. So wouldn't Rabbi Aqib have done that kindness? He says, no, yeah. Rabbi Aqib knew it. He saw they left it on the seashore, so he took it home. When they came back, he went and he told them. And they were so flabbergasted at his his honesty and integrity that they were like, okay, uh, you know, what, keep it. Just yesterday I saw um, a video, I'm trying to think who it was, but one of these hosts, Steve Harvey, I don't remember, but he had a Jewish guy come on. Basically, the Jewish guy had bought on one of these uh, off, offline like, secondhand hand uh, desk for his home office and he couldn't get it into the door so he had to take like the top sum of it out and he took it out he found a bag of it was like eighty thousand or 000, uh, one hundred and eighty thousand thousand dollars in cash so he phoned up the woman and he uh, and he said, "I've got your money and you returned it um, and uh, to, to you note know, I was her inheritance, she was in a bad state when she got it and she had thrown it in the desk and then realised it had fallen behind, I mean, obviously I'm sure she was traumatised by having lost uh, $180,000 um, but uh, he had found it and he returned it and it was, uh, I thought it was such a kiddush Hashem he asked, he asked well, what made you do it, did you have any second thoughts? He says no, this is how we brought up as Orthodox Jews, that uh, you can have an opportunity like this, you take it and you return it and uh, like that just left, I think there's often such a negative perception of uh, religious Jews, especially Charedim and stuff. But like you say, like it wasn't wasn't a, me and my wife would have a second thought? You know? get uh, someone else's money, take the opportunity, and you return it. So that's of the, so I watched that yesterday, and then I sat down to learn the Duff, and I was a bit like, did Rabbi really uh, keep it? And then I saw uh, an they bring the shit to said, he tried to return it, but he couldn't. I mean, obviously, if Rebbe couldn't find the owners or, you know, it's, I'm sure they had Yosha, I mean, I didn't, could keep it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, the third, uh, the third re- thing that Rebbe became wealthy from, in Gaza, de, from a log. What's a log? So it seems it was kind of like a secret treasure chest, a hollowed out log that, that these sailors had. Uh, filled up with God, Zim He gave uh, uh, four zoos to some sailors and he said, you know what, when you are on your bring me back some treasure. Bring me some artifact, some uh, thing that you come back. With. He says, you didn't find anything except this log on the sea on the seashore, so Aiselay. And Omreleh, Avid Marana Alaya, says, they said, look, this is all we could find, this impressive looking piece of wood, um, keep it, and hopefully in the interim we'll find uh, something else for your fours years. And he found it was full to the brim with dinari golden coins. A boat sank. A boat bahu gives all the wealth from the trading that both done was hidden in the Islam, the and Rabbi Akiva was the one who found it. A fourth answer, a fourth uh, a fourth cause of Rabbi Akiva's wealth was Min Matranisa from a certain noble woman. And a fifth one, um yeah, that the, the story behind that, uh, the, the commentaries bring here, is once the Chachomi wanted to build a new-based medrash, a new yeshiva, And they sent Rabbi Akiva to borrow money from this wealthy woman. So he went and he borrowed her. And she said, who's going to be the orif? Who's going to be the guarantor? And he said, I don't know, you tell me, who do you trust? So she said, you know what, I want Hashem in the sea. She looked on the seashore. She says, I want Hashem in the sea to be my guarantor. Came time to pay back the loan. And Rabbi Akiva was ill. So he couldn't get to her. And uh, so she went to the sea stood by the sea and she said, you know, Hashem and the sea the guarantees for this loan. And at that moment, Rabbi Akiva, uh, the Caesar's daughter, had had a fit and thrown a whole lot of wealth into the sea. And uh, the seashore had washed up onto the seashore in front of her. And a while later, when Rabbi Akiva recovered and he went to pay her, she told him the story. She was again blown away, how Hashem and the sea stood up for him. And uh, she said, you know, you can keep... uh, you can keep it. I've received payment for my debt. I've received payment for the money I lent you to build the So, she, so Rabbi Akiva got another whole, uh, whole treasure. Rufus, he also got it from the wife of Tullus Rufus. Okay, another amazing story. So, um, Tullus Rufus was one of the high ups for the Caesar. And uh, Rabbi Akiva used to often debate with him and he always outsmarted him in their debates. And one day, uh, Tudor Rufus returned home very uh, sour and bitter, angry. And his wife says, what's going on? She said, you know, every time I get into a debate with Rabbi Akiva, I lose. She says, you know what? Hashem hates promiscuity. Give me permission to go cause him to stray and he won't be able to stand up before you again. So he gave her permission. She went to Rabbi Akiva and he had a very strange reaction. He spat. He laughed, and he cried. So she said to him, you know, what's going on? Rabbi Akiva. He had had some level of Ruach HaKodesh and what she was coming to do. And he said, well, I spat because granted, you're extremely beautiful. You come from a tipus a putrid drop. That's how they explain it. That's all people start at something very, uh, um, very unpleasant. A, a tipus And she said, and I can explain to you, why I cried, because again this great beauty is going to end up like uh, every, every other person, rotting in the ground. He says, and the third thing I can't tell you, what was the third thing that the moral tells us is that he saw, that's why he laughed, he saw that uh, she would convert and he would end up marrying her. And that's basically what happened, she was so blown away with Rabbi Kibba, and I guess his holiness, his piety, that he didn't even uh, fall into her trap. And uh, she was extremely beautiful, so she was uh, her chances of success were very high, and she, she saw how special Rabbi Kiba was. She uh, said, oh, is there any way I can do shuvah for what i have trying to do? And he said, definitely. So she went, she converted, and after a while she ended up marrying Rabbi Akiva, and uh, she brought in a whole lot of uh, wealth into their marriage. And then the sixth one, Katia Bar Shalom, from the story of Katir Bar Shalom, he also became extremely wealthy. What was the story of Katir Bar Shalom? So there was a no, um, the Roman Caesar was saying, you know, We've got, to get rid of, we've, got, we've got to deal with our Jewish problem. You know, what would happen if you have a... sounds to me like your foot. someone's foot is gangrenous. Do you cut it off and let the rest of the body survive? Or do you leave it there for them to suffer until it eats away at them? So everyone says, you know, you cut it off. And that's what we have to do with the Jewish problem. We have to uh, cut it away. Get rid of all the Jews. So Ketir Shalom stood up and he says, no, there are two reasons why you can't do that. Firstly, trying to get rid of the Jews, is like trying to get rid of the four directions. It's impossible. The Jews are part of this world. You're not going to, the Jews are, I mean, we, we know we're intrinsic to this world. It's not going to work. And then the second reason he said is, you're also, you're going to be called the lame, the, lame, uh, the, lame, the lame kingdom. You've cut out a nice chunk of your uh, what's it, citizens. You're going to be called the lame kingdom. So the Caesar said to him, uh, you're right. Actually, what you made is a good point, but you know, if you outsmart the punishment for outsmarting the Caesar, is now we have to put you to death. And when they were carrying him to put him to death, um, a certain noble woman cried out again and, and said, you know, you're dying on behalf of the Jews and you're not going to get Oilam habal with them because you don't have a brish so he somehow fell on himself and bit off his foreskin so he had a brisk so he could get Olam Haba with them. And when he was about to be executed, he shouted that he gives all his property and wealth to, um, to Rebbe Akiva. So those are the things, six things that Rebbe Akiva became wealthy from. Um, like I mentioned, what's special about um, um, six? So one answer given is that... Uh, we know six is an allusion to the six Sidra Mishnah, to Shas, and uh, Rabbi Akiva, as I thought, is the, the father of the Mishnah, is the father of Aru Torah. so it's a symbolism because of his dedication to the Mishnah. That's why he merited six sources of wealth. Okay, I'm um, carrying on with... Cheers, travel safety. We'll see you next <laughs> Um, Rav Gamdu Yahiv Dalit Zuzay La Rav Gamda also once gave four zoos to, to some sailors to bring him something back. and similar to what Rabbi Akiva did, with those sailors Rav Gamda also did. It, it says, Loshka Loshka, They didn't really find anything they felt uh, worth of it. it says, so they brought him back uh, they, they managed to capture a monkey and bring that for Rav Gamda. It says Ishtamit, but the monkey escaped so, al right, where the monkey ran into a hole, they dug after it, and al margalisa they found it sitting on a pile of pearls, and they brought it all to Ram Gamda. There's an interesting discussion here. Did they have to bring it to Ram Gamda? Did he own it by the fact that this monkey sat on it, or were they doing what's Okay, You can think about it. Uh, most seem to say that since, I mean, they hadn't even given the monkey to him, never mind, the pearls, so they shouldn't have to. But let's say they had given the monkey to him, would that make a difference? Something I to think about. And this reminds me oh, of the other point I wanted to bring. Rabbi Akiva heard his wife say to the neighbor, just another thing that affects monetary law, that's why it reminded me of it. Said to his, heard the wife, the wife say to his neighbor, if Rabbi Akiva would go for another 12 years, would come home, I would tend to go for another 12 years. He says, Oh, here my wife wants me to go for 12 years. I can go. Is that saying if let's say. You are overheard Dennis say to you, I wish uh, you know, I, I'll, I would buy X for Ruven. Can I take something of Dennis's and buy X for Ruven? Because I heard him say it to someone else. Can't take what one person says to another person as a commitment to do something. You have to check. Dennis, would you like me to go and. But here, Rebbe Akiva seemed to take it as a given. Maybe with his wife, he knew it was a. I was thinking maybe with his wife, he knew it was a. What's it, an umdana? Uh, Anand Sahadi, like with his wife, it was straight and definite. With most people, you always have to be uh, suspicious why they saying it? Is it just to find favour? Is it just to make conversation or whatever? But with his wife. Okay, but back to the story. Um, back to the Gemara. I'm going really be sure? Not sure why this is here. Maybe it's because we discussed Torah. I'm not sure why this is here. The daughter of the Caesar, Tetra Yeshua Ben I think Caesar, when the Gamorra uses Caesar, sometimes it is referring to the Roman Caesar, the king, and sometimes it's referring to one of the senators or one of the noblemen of Rome, not necessarily the Caesar, but. But it could be the Caesar. The daughter of the Caesar said to Rabbi in Torah but How can you have such splendorous Torah in such an ugly vessel? I, Rabbi Rebisha, you're ugly. You're very ugly. What's the how can Torah be in you? It says, oh, Malay, we can actually learn it out from your father's house. Says, what do you keep your wine in? So, de Pachra. We keep it in earthenware, the loadiest vessels, earthenware vessels. de Pachra. de says, What do you mean? The whole world keeps their wine in earthenware. You, you're from a very special, you're from a noble family, you should be keeping it in gold and silver. It says aslas b'rames chamre b'manei the castle of the Sorry. So she went and she took all of all as one and decanted it into golden silver. Kailim and the wine soured. So Amar lo he said to Av or Isaac and it's the same thing with Torah. Avah ha'ike shapirin the But we know they're beautiful sages who were incredibly who became incredibly great. It says Amar Law, i habusano have gomerin tvei. Yeah, if they hated it, they would have been able to learn even more. So it's just interesting. What's the problem? So firstly, it seems that beauty generally comes with an aspect of arrogance. And we know Torah, one of the reasons Torah is compared to water and maybe other liquids as well, is because there's an asset to teach you humility. It goes to the lowest point. Water always flows to the lowest point. So that's that's there. Um, There's a bit of a discussion. What is it? Is he saying that, is it because a a beautiful person always has that tiny drop of arrogance caught up in this world that he shouldn't have, so if he didn't he would become even greater? Or is he saying that those great sages, you can look in Tanis where this is brought, I think Rashi and Tosas argue there, but those great sages weren't caught up in their beauty at all, so it didn't affect them. But anyone else who their beauty affects? Would it would affect their learning. Um, yeah, the Gomorrah brings that Rabbi Yochanan was incredibly beautiful. We I mean, know Rabbi Yochanan, I mean, we always pascal like Rabbi Yochanan in uh, Gomorrah. Um, Rabbi Yochanan brings that Yaakov Ovinu uh, is of similar beauty to Adam Arishon. So we have very, very great people who were very, extremely beautiful. Another story about an ugly sage. Um, there was a certain woman who came before Rabbi Yehuda, Says Ladina for a court case, v'is kayypta. He said she's guilty. V'is kayypta min dinah. She was guilty according to the law. So amr amr law. Shmuel Rabbi is hechitanim. She said to him, "Would Shmuel your Rabbi pasquin the same way as this?" I don't feel you you judge correctly. Says amr law. Your data like she. says said, "Oh, you knew my Rabbi Shmuel." She says amr oh, lay Yes, I knew. Good sir, Rabbi Kreisa. Uchum uchum He yeah. He was uh, short and fat and. Big teeth and dark you know, virabi v- shouldn't have big teeth. So very ugly, already says, Oh my lord Zirk Asi, you're coming to degrade Shmuel. Tihavaya Sabashamtah, she should be in Khayrim and Pakumai. So she died. That Khayrem caused her the distress that she ended up dying from. It I shouldn't do Juvak for speaking disparagingly against Tamil Chachomim. You know, someone's degrading Tamil Chachomim. you put them in Khayrim then the Mishnah carried on that if someone takes a nedr against remember, remember the Mishnah that we, that we started off the parrots with there's four words for cooking and the ramifications of each of those neder. and we said if he takes a neder against a tavshil then the neder doesn't take effect on a baitz turmu, uh, turmuta what's a baitz turmuta it says my baitz turmuta Turmita says Do you know a slave who can make Turmita is worth a thousand dinari it's, uh, it's the most difficult Food thing uh, you can make I don't know what's uh, difficult to make uh, But uh, it's extremely difficult to make And a slave who can do it is worth a thousand dinar. Um, why? And he just mentioned some of the process. Um, you have to put it a thousand times in hot water and a thousand times in cold water. Add the the until it shrinks into an easy size to swallow. Right? This egg somehow, from this, this process in cooking, it goes down to a, what, like, a, like the size of a and you can just swallow it. The im is And if someone's sick, you know, you can swallow it. It will go through his body, and and on it it will have certain stains from the illness that he has, and the doctor will know how to treat him, what illness he has and how to treat him from it. Okay, now Shmuel didn't know how to use that, so he had another system that he tried to use to work out what his illness was. He said, Shmuel tried to check himself by swallowing kulcha and it caused him so much pain that his family were tearing out the hair in concern for what he was going through. Kulcha the ran says "Lo Dati Mahu. I don't know what it is. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'll uh, leave it at Al so don't know what it is. Um, cool. yeah. the, the no the commentaries generally take whenever you see Rashi comes along and says, I don't know. Everyone comes with a suggestion. It's a challenge. So the ran saying I don't know, you see it and say, Ah, like, oh, the Ran doesn't know oh, let me try working work it out. It's a challenge. And Tanan Hassan, we learned elsewhere. Now this is regarding the Halakha that a a worker is allowed to eat from the produce that he's working on, even though master hasn't been taken. But this Mishnah limits it. He says If he's working with Kalufsin, which is a certain type of fig, is not allowed to eat from the Benoist Like if he's uh, pruning or or what's it, harvesting the Kalufsin, he's not allowed to eat from the Benoist Soba. Kalufsin, similarly, if he's working with Benoist he's not allowed to eat from Kalufsin. My Kalufsin, what is Kalufsin? I thought it was figs because the next is figs. Yeah, so Kalufsin and Benoist are types of figs. says, yeah. Mino da ta'ina Minon mino lapadi. Klufsin um, is the sort of figs that they would make cooked dishes from them. It says, There was a certain man who sent his slave to, the, to his friend to learn a thousand different ways of preparing these fig dishes. I, so, I mean phenomenal foodies to the nth degree. You know, every, they to, make it, to be able to make a thousand different dishes from the fig dishes. It says Agmaray Timli and he only taught him eight hundred. Says Azmay Ladina the claimant Rebbe brought him in a, to judgment before Rebbe. He says, you know, the deal was to teach him a thousand, and he's only he's fallen short of his uh, commitment. It says Nishnu Tuva, our ancestors said we've forgotten luxury. I we saw such luxury like this, but we've forgotten about it. it says oh no, like Anu Afula Bainanul Orienu, we've never even seen such luxury. Again, Rabbi was blown away that the, these people were so caught up in their food and their luxuries um, and their luxuries and their delicacies that they could discuss making. Again, I think it is an exaggeration, but they could discuss hundreds and hundreds of ways of preparing these figs. Um, Rabbi obviously, yeah. So that's uh, Rebbe's comment on the luxurious lifestyle and the wealth of that certain people had. Um, it's interesting i uh, sadly i think sometimes we also get caught up in that trap you know we uh uh i don't i think we're allowed to have nice food and it 's a mitzvah to enjoy your food and to have special food on Shabbos and Tov. but uh you know sometimes you can hear people going on uh, with uh, these very very pedantic and you know the food cooked to perfection with this and that and the the whole uh is uh Environment, I don't think it's bad, but I don't know if it's necessarily the the real Torah approach. You can you can analyze that. I'll, I'll leave that as a question. Once we mentioned Rabbi and his wife, we're going to mention something else about it. Rabbi Avraham um, Rabbi Shimon Berebi Rabbi was making a wedding feast for his son. He's spent for the wedding hall, for the wedding feast, he sent, it seems like, um, I think it's 240 million, I mean his numbers are hard to work out, uh, 24,000 by 10,000, so I think that's 240 million dinarim on this wedding. Nofku al-Bais ganana din sorry, he spent 240,000 on this wedding. He didn't invite the great sage Barakapara. So if those who go against Hashem's will, this is what happens. For those who transgress Hashem's will, how much more so? He's vaguely, he's, in a veiled way, he's criticizing you're spending so much money on this wedding and you couldn't even invite me. There's so, mm-hmm. so, so they quickly invited Bar Kapora. Omar, and he said, ba-alam if this is those who fulfill Hashem's will in this world, how much more so to those who fulfill Hashem's will in the world to come. and we'll see why did it, there, there are different explanations of what's going on here and what was Bar Kaporah saying, and why was he so why was he upset with Rebbe that he kind of gave what seems like veiled rebuke or veiled uh, um, criticism or curse of Rebbe when he didn't invite him. So we'll see from the next Suggia, Bakapar was the joker. And Rebbe was very serious. Rebbe felt uh, joking distracted him from uh, from his focus in learning and his seriousness. And uh, and that's why Rebbe... Uh, Rebbe didn't want to invite Bar So, You know, it's going to just make the wedding a a dance party, not a holy. Not as it's going to make it too too much uh, levity at the wedding if we invite Bar Kapara. And then, so Bar Kapora came and he said, "When do we know this phrase from? Um, um, this phrase of, well, if this is those, if this is the celebration of those who transgress Hashem's will, how much more so the celebration of those who fulfill Hashem's will at the end of Meseches Makos?" Rabbi Akiva said that. He saw the Romans celebrating. It was after the destruction. And the Romans were celebrating. And, Hashem said, oh, and Rabbi Akiva said, look at the celebrations. If those who transgress Hashem's will are celebrating like this, how much more so those who fulfill Hashem's will? And he's telling Rabbi, the enjoyment for a mitzvah is so great. Look at Rabbi, Look what Rabbi Akiva is saying, that the enjoyment for the mitzvah those who fulfill Hashem, those who are doing mitzvahs, they'll get so much more enjoyment. So enjoying mitzvahs and celebrating a wedding with, uh, with a bit of levity and jokes and happiness is not a problem. And that's what Rebbe was saying. We'll continue with this with Baha Kapoor and Rebbe tomorrow.